please turn with me this evening to the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. chapter, of course, that those in the Bible class will be familiar with. <coughs> We've been studying all year the life and times of Joseph. Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to break into the chapter at verse 16, and we'll read to the end. Genesis 45, verse 16, and of course we're reading from the authorised version. <coughs> and the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye. Laid your beasts, and go, get you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. <coughs> and the children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way to all of them. He gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this banner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Amen. We know God will stand with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this evening is taken from Genesis chapter 45, verses 27 and verses 28. 
And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, my subject tonight, as I announced this morning, is encouragement from the king's wagons. Now, in Genesis 45, you've got to think in your mind of old Jacob sitting at home, perhaps outside the door of his tent. He's a sad, heartbroken, grief-stricken old man. Years before, he's been bereft of his beloved Rachel. There was the loss of Rachel's firstborn son called Joseph. In fact, we could say of Jacob that he couldn't bear hearing the name of Joseph. He, he couldn't think of him without a tear rolling down the cheek, without a, a pang or, or a pain and a heartache in his mind. He's sitting there, probably thinking, hopefully his 11 sons are now on their way home. For a second time, his sons had gone down into the Egypt to buy corn. This was a long and perilous journey of 250 miles. And old Jacob, their father, he's very worried. He's concerned for his sons. You see, on the first trip, they returned home with just nine sons. Simeon had to be left behind in a prison cell. They told their father about this stern ruler in Egypt who insisted that when they return, that Benjamin, the youngest boy, has to be with them. And you can imagine old Jacob sitting there thinking, what if I lost my youngest son Benjamin as well? Remember what he says in chapter 44 and verse 29? He, he, he says to them, And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my grey hairs with sorrow to the grave. Old Jacob is shrouded in misery. He's full of pity. He's expecting mischief, something bad to happen, as he's sitting thinking at the door of his tent. Then the news breaks, there's sight of the man. And as they approach, old Jacob can see the asses laden with sacks of corn. And as he looks, he also hears the rumble of the wheels of wagons. Now remember, he's an old man. His heart and mind is full of weariness. His body is weary and worn. His spirit is heavy due to life circumstances that he has experienced. He, he, he of course, has believed that all these things were against him. And he hears the news from his sons. Dad, if I can paraphrase, Joseph's alive. He's the governor in Egypt. And he's calling you and us to come as families down to Egypt. What do we read in verse 26? And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. 
He thought immediately, that couldn't possibly be true. I saw the coat. I beheld the blood. I heard what my son said to me. A wild beast has defied him. And even though they repeated the message in verse 27, it's only when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob was revived. And it was at that point he said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now I want you to remember this. That at this point, old Jacob is living in the land of famine. The land of Canaan, like other lands, was stricken by dearth, desolation, and death. And he's thinking about the day I die. He's pondering his grey hairs. And then the wagons roll up. And the sight of them. The sound of them, they they somehow revive his spirit. Somehow he's encouraged. Somehow he is comforted and helped. Now let me lift it up and spiritualize it tonight. I want you to think of the, the gospel wagon. I want you to think of every soul spiritually apart from the grace of God. They're really living in the land of death. They're stricken by dearth and desolation. And what they need is the gospel message. A message that comes to them and that conveys to them a message of fullness from the heavenly Joseph. Encouragement from the king's wagons. Now let's think of a couple of things this evening. I want you to think of the plight that was facing old Jacob. You see, the wagons were sent to Jacob in the land of famine. As I've said, it was a land of death, a land of desolation, a land of dearth. There was a barrenness in Canaan. The famine had been in the land for two years and it was being keenly felt. And Joseph in Egypt, now governor, he's keenly aware of the situation facing his family. If you go back in the chapter, and we didn't read it for the sake of time, listen to what he says in uh, verses 7 and 8. And God sent me before you to preserve your posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither but God, and hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of of Egypt. What's he saying to his brothers when he disclosed himself to them and said, I am Joseph, your brother. He said, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. See, Joseph recognized that all his family was in in jeopardy. That, That famine had ravished the land. Now think of our own land tonight. Think of our land spiritually. You'll say to me, and rightly, there's no famine in Northern Ireland. Yes, there are people that are poor, not so well off as others. That represents probably about 70% of the world's population. Not everybody's millionaires or billionaires. 
Yes, there's people in poverty and hardship tonight, even among God's people. There's people of difficulty making ends meet, but people in debt. Maybe they're in debt through fault of their own or, or through no fault of their own. But that's the situation. But, but there's not really a famine like, like, like what you would see in television in Africa and in other places. But spiritually, there is a famine. A famine of hearing the word of God. Isn't that what God said to Amos chapter 8 and verse 11? You, you think of the souls tonight in the country that have no appetite for God. They're dead to God. Spiritually, they're desolate. Spiritually, they're in a death-like situation. Only a heartbeat away from grave and eternity, without God, without Christ, and without hope. Maybe they've heard the gospel before. Because of their life situation, because of their circumstances. We read of Jacob, and Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Maybe tonight, even your soul, because of life's situation, circumstances, is upset. Maybe there's a spirit of bitterness. Maybe you're in an impossible situation. You see, there's no hope. There's nothing to revive or encourage or comfort your heart. I want you to think of the wonder of the wagons, the king's wagons. You see, the king's wagons speak to me of a fullness of supply. Something that you can enjoy and experience here and now. You and I individually and spiritually can do nothing to remedy our personal situation, our communal situation, our national situation. There's nothing we can do to change it or to redeem it. But we need our eyes open to see something of the wonder of the king's wagons. Here's our plight, individually. Is that true of you? You're in the land of spiritual famine and dearth. You're aware of your state and condition. You feel there's no hope and there's no help. But the truth is there is. If you could but see by faith the wagons of King Jesus. Notice secondly, the proclamation for old Jacob. You see, old Jacob whether he was at the door of his tent or on the pathway of his dwelling, he heard the best news possible from the lips of his sons. Now I want you to think of him in a state of misery. He's pining away. All that has happened, the death of his wife Rachel, the, the news of the supposedly death of Joseph. Thirty years have passed. And he's filled with a broken heart. And yet that day, he heard the best proclamation ever. And I want you to notice this, because it was a threefold proclamation that he heard. A threefold message from the lips of his sons. Notice, notice what he heard. It says in verse 26, And told him, saying, Joseph. We'll pause there. The name Joseph... You see, remember Joseph has suffering affliction and his affliction was all ordained of God to save their lives. Isn't that what Joseph told the brothers? Verse 5, 
Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Now think of that. Joseph's sufferings, afflictions were all ordained of God to save their lives. Was not a truth preached by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost? Remember he addressed those that were slayers of the Lord Jesus. Those that lifted up their hands and put their hand to Christ. And what did he say to them in Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 and 23? He said, ye men of Israel, hear ye these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. Death that was predetermined. Death that was appointed to the Savior to suffer by the hands of men and the hand of God. Think of Christ in the cross for a moment. Shedding his blood. Suffering the just from the unjust. Bearing our sins. Peter said of him who bore our sins in his own body in the tree. Isaiah 53 and 5, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Think of 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he that is God had made him that is Christ to be sin for us. So you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think of that double imputation there. Our sins with its guilt and punishment being, being, being transferred to the life of Christ. And God making him a sin offering, a sacrifice for sin. Him bearing the wrath of God. And then Christ's righteous life being put to our account. And not only are we cleansed in the blood, but we're clothed in the garment of his righteousness. And here's God's plan. Joseph said to his brothers, look, don't be angry. Yes, you sold me. Yes, you were wicked in that. But it was God sent me here at the age of 17. And I've endured all the pain of slavery, the prison house. But I want to tell you, it wasn't a mistake. It was all part of God's plan. And Joseph suffered affliction. And that affliction was all ordained of God to save their lives. And let me just point out that Christ's suffering tonight was not a mistake. It was not an afterthought in the mind of God. It wasn't a a tragedy. Jesus didn't just die the death of a martyr. His death, his bloodshedding, his affliction, his suffering was all at the heart of God's plan for Christ. And that message came to Jacob on the very edge of death in the land of famine. And of course, by the suffering of Christ, the bloodshedding of the Savior, God can and does and has preached and proclaimed the great message of salvation. The cross of Christ, his death, his affliction was all ordained of God, was at the heart of God's plan. He also heard Joseph is alive. If you go back to Genesis 45, it says there in verse 26, Joseph 
is yet alive. I'm sure that message thrilled the heart and soul of old Jacob. Could it be true? Yes, it is. And isn't that the keynote of the gospel tonight, folks? Jesus is alive. Matthew 28 and 6, he is not here. He has risen as he said. I believe tonight in the doctrine of Christ's bodily resurrection. That's a vital, real message that encourages and comfort and helps and strengthens the church of Christ. The tomb is empty. Glory to God. The angel, we believe, rolled away the stone. A two-ton stone. Not to let Christ out. He was already risen. But to let the sinners look in. To, to let the people of God in. And to, to, to see and believe. He is not here. He is risen. See, here's a great message for every sinner tonight. It's true that Christ died. But it's equally true that today the tomb is empty. But we believe in the literal bodily and tangible resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he didn't just rise from the dead in a spiritual sense. He's really alive. He's tangibly alive. He's physically alive. Literally alive. We, of course, reject the view of the liberals and the modernists who, who say that his resurrection was just in a spiritual sense. Lord Jesus Christ tonight's alive bodily. Do you know where he's at? He's at the Father's right hand. He's already been received back to glory. He's entered into that Shekinah glory of the Father that he had at the very beginning. And do you know what? One day he's coming back. You're going to see him. Every eye shall see. I believe that literally in the body in which Christ died and was resurrected, he's coming back and going to stand on the Mount of Olives. The literal, visible second coming of Christ. And when he comes, he'll come to set up his kingdom. He'll come to reign and rule from Jerusalem. Because the devil hates that message. Because, you see, that is the dynamite of the gospel. Christ on the cross, that's a great message. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. But let's say we only had that message. What, what good would it be? What comfort would it bring? Let, 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 let's say that we said Christ is still in the tomb. Would that be of any hope and cheer to God's people? But no, but Christ is on the throne. He's at the Father's right hand. He's there in the power of an endless life, making intercession for God's people. Listen to what Paul was able to write to the church in Rome. He said this, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again because of our justification. The word for in Romans 4, 25 means because of or on account of our justification. Because God was satisfied with Christ once and for all sacrifice for sin. And because Christ met the need of the holy justice of God and the law of God. The resurrection was just proof, I believe, that the Father accepted and rejoiced in and was well pleased with the sacrificial death of Christ. Joseph is alive. Jesus is alive. Notice also here very quickly, 
Joseph is exalted to be the Lord of the land. Isn't that what, what, what the son said? And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. It's not great news. Christ died. Christ rose again. But Christ is also the Lord of all glory. He has the governor of the universe. He's the ruler of the earth. And as the ruler, he has power and he has authority. He has power and authority to put enemies under his feet. He has power and authority to supply the needs of his people. And here's good news. Good news for every sinner. A threefold proclamation. What happened to Christ was in God's plan. He is now alive again. Glory to God is exalted to be the Lord. That's the proclamation. Notice very quickly the provision for old Jacob. It says, and when he saw the wagons, Joseph had sent to carry him. You see, the wagons speak of the fullness of provision. Jacob was given ten asses. Laden with the good things of Egypt, he was given ten she-asses, corn, bread, meat. They were all designed for his father by the way. Verse 19, there's the mention of the wagons. Now thou art commanded this do you take ye wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come hither. And um, it says in verse 21, And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandments of Pharaoh. Verse 27, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him. Notice the emphasis on the wagons. It speaks of fullness. You see, sometimes people imagine, I have to wait until I die. In other words, to find out if what I am told by way of good news is really true or not. Oh, I wish it were true. I wish there was some way to find out. But I'm not sure. And there's an element of doubt. I want to tell you, you don't have to wait until you're dead to find out something of the wonderful provision and the fullness of the heavenly Joseph. You can taste of that now. Isn't the psalmist who said in Psalm 68 and 19, He daily loadeth me with benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see, what he has for us now is but a foretaste of what awaits us when we get there. Think of the cargo of wagons. It's in the plural. Loaded with the good things. You see, the gospel provision has just as much as a rich and a wonderful blessing here and now for God's people. Let, let me just reiterate some of the things. Isn't there a wonderful propitiation for God's people? Propitiation means to cover. A wonderful covering for our sins. The covering of the blood of Christ. The, the, our sins that are covered by the blood are, are gone forever. They're out of sight. God makes the promise and thy sins and iniquities. Well, I remember no more. I won't recall them to my mind. See, only the Lord can pronounce the blessedness of the knowledge of sins forgiven. Only the Lord can bestow a full and free and forever pardon. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. 
Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. His transgression is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Oh, that we know our sins are carried away, covered by the blood, and cancelled out because of the power of Christ's blood. Isn't there a wonderful justification? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being legally declared just. What a wonderful truth the doctrine of justification is. Treated and accounted for the sake of Christ as legally just in God's sight. Isn't there a wonderful reconciliation? The Bible talks about being made nigh by the blood of Christ. Having peace with God. You know when the Bible talks about peace with God, it isn't just peace in your mind. It's real peace. No matter what you feel. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your difficulty, even being treated badly and, 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 and cruelly by God's people, without pity and mercy for your feelings, you can still have real peace. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed in thee, because he trusteth in thee, Isaiah said. Real peace, rest of God, even in the midst of life's affliction and storm. Isn't there a wonderful redemption? We were singing, I am redeemed. Redeemed from the slave market of sin, bought with the price, the precious blood, delivered real freedom on the payment of a ransom price. And Christ paid that price for us and set us free. Isn't there a wonderful adoption? We've been adopted into God's family. We've been granted all the rights and privileges of sonship. Isn't there a wonderful sanctification? He not only has saved us from sin's penalty and power, but he saves us from sin's pleasure. There's a break with sin. The life of God has been planted in our soul. We now have good new life in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And now there's a new longing. We desire the Lord. There's a new love. We, 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 we love him because he first loved us. And we're overwhelmed by that love. And there's a new loyalty. We'll stand up for Christ. We'll speak for him. We'll say no to sin out of love for him. It's all tied into this sanctification. Isn't there a wonderful glorification? One day we'll be in heaven. One day we'll be with Christ. I wonder what heaven's like. Have you ever thought of that? We'll be taken up with the gold. The angels. Maybe you think you'd be taken up with your loved ones. But I want to say this to you. I think and believe that we'll be taken up first and foremost with Christ. The lamb for sinners slain. The hymn writer said, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hands. Everyone that Christ died for, everyone that is redeemed, everyone he's adopted, everyone that he's justified and sanctified, he's going to bring them home to glory. Everyone, not one will be lost. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, he would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And this is only stretching the surface of, of the provision. You see, the wagons conveyed a message of fullness. Not only asses laden, and ten she-asses with bread and meat. But wagons. 
And they're sent as a message to old Jacob. And when he saw the wagons, his spirit was revived. Think of what you have in this life. And then contrast that with the provision spiritually that can be yours in this life. And what's yet to be revealed in heaven. See what we've got now by way of benefits. That's only a little foretaste of what it's going to be like. And one final thing. The prospect of old Jacob. You see, the wagons were saying to Jacob, Come. Think of this old man, deeply rooted in his own land. Maybe set in his ways, sadly, a man that's embittered and full of grief and facing life's difficulty and circumstances. A man filled with disbelief. It says, and Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. He didn't believe a word that they were saying. Joseph's afflictions, planned by God. God sent him there to preserve life. I don't believe it. Joseph's alive. Joseph's the governor. I don't believe it. But when he saw the wagons, the wagons that Joseph had sent, you know, we could really say there was much to hold him back. But the wagons said, come. Easy access and route to see Joseph. You can see him face to face. As I've said, what have you got here? A few temporal blessings, material blessings, physical blessings. But what have we really got if we're without God? And without Christ? And without hope? What prospect have we? Do we think we're better off? I want to tell you if you're a millionaire or a billionaire without God and without hope, without Christ you're most miserable indeed. Surely it's worthwhile to come to where Christ is. And there's the gospel invite. There's the message that's sent to you. What have you got to hold you here? The message was, come with us. Come to me. That's what Jacob was told. And what did he say? It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Will you go to Christ tonight? Will you see him with the eye of faith? Will you begin to understand this is the prospect that awaits me? I can go to the heavenly Joseph. And I'll see him one day. Face to face. And in light of that, that's enough for me. May the Lord bless these few words to your heart. They've really been a pointed gospel message. They've blessed me so much as I have studied them from the time in the Bible class. And I trust and pray that it will be a benefit to you as God's people.